I'm not going to sing a special. I know you guys are really, really upset about that, but I'm not singing one, not this week. I'm still practicing, though. I've got, uh, I've got one I'm working on in the shower one day, maybe. All right. <clears throat> we're going to continue in the Great Escape, okay? The Great Escape is where we're at. And what's interesting about this um, Great Escape, today we're actually going to take a little step away. You'll understand in a moment. But in the overall Great Escape, we were in Exodus 34 last week. Um, we finished up Exodus 34, in fact. And what we did was we were with Moses as he descended down from the top of the mountain. He'd been in that communion with God, remember that, for that 40-day window. And as he was there, he was doing all of those things, working with God, and God was, he was dependent upon the Lord during that time. And when he comes down, God's not only giving him the Ten Commandments for the second time, because remember, he, he broke the first ones, um, but God, God's now given him a second set. He brings those down, along with the, the, um, the covenant. He gives instructions for the covenant that God has given in regards to the land that he's going to promise them. But when Moses comes down, he doesn't even realize, unbeknownst to him, as he comes down, his face actually is shining and showing a reflection to the people. So that was our message last week called Shine. Now, as a little bit of a preface, what we've been studying from, from Exodus all the way from chapter 25 all the way to Exodus chapter number 31 has been instructional. God has been teaching us about what's to come. And what we're going to see today is we're actually going to be, this is where this is actually going to start to become a reality. So all the instructions that God's been giving Moses, now what's going to happen is he's going to actually relay it to the people, and this is where the rubber's going to hit the road. They're actually going to start to to do something, okay? So, but in this message, this what we're going to do is what's called, a, we're going to do a mini-series inside of our series. And this mini-series is going to be called A Willing Heart, A Willing Heart. And we'll have several messages in this called, in this portion called A Willing Heart. So this morning, we're going to be in the crowd as Moses gathers everybody together as he's come down. And there he is with the Ten Commandments, and he's ready to prepare to share with them what is to happen. And he's telling them the instructions on how they're to go forward. And as this takes place, what we see is they're about to undertake this really big building project, right? Remember, we've been talking about the tabernacle, right? They're going to build that. And this is what's happening now as he's saying, look, not only this is how it's going to be done, but this is how all the needs are going to be fulfilled. And the message this morning is called A Heart to Give. A Heart to Give. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for, God, this opportunity that you've given us to be in your house. And, Lord, I have prayed, diligently studied hard. And, God, I'm thankful, Father, for the way that you've spoken to me. And I ask, Lord, today that today, uh, Lord, you will help me to get out of the way, Father. This message would be the very one that you would give us. And, Lord, you will speak to us in ways that we need. Each of us, uh, Lord, has a different need. Each of us, Lord, uh, is, is needy in some way. And we need to be fed the truth. And, God, I pray that you will speak today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you help me to get out of the way, Lord, that uh, the truth might speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So to get us up to speed with where we've been, for those of you that are not, and also just make sure that we're all on the same page. What happened with Moses? Remember, he was up on the mountain. And as that time with him, his time with God closed, what we saw is he came down here with the replacement Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments were written by God, but they were fashioned by Moses. Okay, there was Moses, what happened the first time he got angry, he smashed those. The second set, God says, you're going to take the stones, you're going to make them, you're going to chisel them all out and get them in shape, and you're going to carry them all the way to the top of the mountain, and then I will fill them out. So this second set he now has. So he's got the covenant that he's been given by God, and he's also got the Ten Commandments as he comes down. Now, as this time that he's been with God, as he comes down, as I said before, his face is, is literally glowing, right? His face is glowing. This is because of his complete dependence, right? During that time period, he did not eat or drink for 40 days straight. Now, if you do not drink for four days, you die, right? So for 40 days, God sustained him. So when we saw in that sustenance of God providing for him, not only did it reflect in his life, but it also sent a message to us 
that if we will sustain ourselves upon the word of God, if we will pour ourselves, if we took 40 days of our lives and we said, look, you know what? I'm not going to take in anything else but God. Imagine the, the brightness of our life, right? It would make a tremendous difference. So we saw a direct application to our lives in that message shine. And then what happens is interesting is he came down from that message. And as he came and he met the people, they weren't excitedly like, oh, man, Moses, look at you. They were like, they were like whoa, hey, buddy, that's a little... A little too much there, bright guy. You know, you're, you're shining a little too much. And what we find is in our culture today, right? People many times don't lovingly accept us, right? Sometimes as Christians, we're not received. Sometimes we're ridiculed, right? Sometimes people are afraid of us, right? And this can be in the Christian community as well as in the lost community. There are Christians that will react in a negative way. If you're on fire for God, they'll be like, whoa, 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 why is that? Well, you know what? If they're not on fire for God and they see you on fire, what does it make them do? Oh. Put some under conviction, right? Oh, man, look at this guy. He's on fire. I used to be like that. Ah. So it's easier just not to be around us, right? Because then what you can do is you can continue in your carnal mindset, and you don't have to make those changes. But we'll also find that the lost world will also suffer ridicule and stuff like that. But God says, look, we're supposed to be an example. We're supposed to be an example. We should make people uncomfortable. We should be a peculiar people. The whole goal is that God wants us to make a difference. So as people tell us to tone down our Christianity, as people tell us, hey, you know what? Back it down a little bit, buddy. You're a little too, little too zealous. When that happens, understand, they don't need less God. They need more God. These people did not need, because when Moses came down, he put a veil over his face. He hid his brightness because he wanted to make them feel comfortable. And what will happen is in our culture, people are going to want us to tone down our Christianity because you know what? It makes them uncomfortable because they're going, you know what? This, this, this conviction that I'm feeling, I'd rather not maybe hang out with you like I used to. And we can either... Be like, and, say, and we can go ahead and, and make them happy by putting a veil over it, you know? Mm-hmm. Or we can say, you know, no. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are going to do what's right, right? And Moses made a bad choice in that example. But what we found was these missions that God's given him. He simply said, hey, look, you know what? There's a mission for you to accomplish. I'm going to send you down to do this great work. And now he's going to simply impart this information to these people. Now, as Christians, that we want to stand out. We want to be like Moses. We want to shine. And what we need to do is we have to listen to God's instructions. As we start here in Moses, in Moses, Moses 35, Exodus 35, <laughs> in Exodus 35, as I said, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where it all starts to happen. So Exodus 35, 1, it says, And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that you should do them. And this is a really weighted verse. And I know we can read that and be like, man, we'll just fly right through it. But there's a lot going on here. First of all, we notice here that Moses follows the instructions. He was told to gather the people. Why is that relevant? Right? Why is it relevant that he gathers them? So there'll be no confusion. Right? It doesn't want. Has anybody played the telephone game? You whisper in somebody's ear, and it just turns into a totally different message later on. So as opposed to it going through telephone through millions of people, he wants to have everybody hear it directly. Everyone gets the same message. And what? Why is that important? Because guess what? They're all equally accountable for their individual roles. God holds us individually accountable for our individual roles as Christians. We're called to a work, and God will hold us accountable. When you stand before God at the judgment seat, it will not matter what other people did. It will only matter what we did. So this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to gather as a church. This is why this is so key, because guess what? We need to be unified so that our teaching is similar. We all have the same mind, the same actions. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Provoke one another, right? Provoke, that means to challenge one another to do better, right? Challenging one another. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Boy, when we look at our culture today, can we see the day approaching? 
man, we can see division. We see anger. We see frustration. We see confusion, right? None of those are of God, right? None of those are of God. We don't see love as the area of the day. We see anger, right? So what we see is the day is approaching. And he says, so as the day approaches, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another, right? And what are supposed to exhort them to? To good works, to love and good works, right? The solution to the problems of our society are not us to argue about them. It's not about us saying, you know what, I'm just going to cut myself out of it. No, it's engaging people in love. It's engaging people with kindness. It's engaging people to realize that we're not in a physical war against anyone. There is no enemy out there that's human. The enemy is spiritual. There is a demonic force that works behind people, and guess what? We've experienced it. If you've ever had an inner altercation with someone in your life who just was sold out to evil, and you felt it, even before you even talk to them sometimes, you can be in their presence and you just feel it. That's the spirit of God going, you're in danger. Be careful. You're in a spiritual fight. And what happens is a lot of us, we get caught up in our emotions, and we lose sight of the spiritual fight, and we don't see it. We think we're fighting against someone, but what did, when Jesus rebukes Peter, what does he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. He doesn't say, get thee behind me, Peter, because he's talking about the force that's influencing him. And so we've got to realize, you and I are not fighting against people. Our job is to love them. So when we gather around the Word of God, it unifies us, right? We unifies us in the fact that we have the same teaching, but also what does it do is it helps us to unify our understanding. It helps us to unify our actions, right? So that we're working together as a unified body to accomplish what God wants us to do. Romans 12, verses 4 through 16 says this, For as we have many members in one body, this is referencing the church, and all members have not the same office, meaning we all have different duties, different, different talents, abilities. So we, being many, many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation means his hypocrisy. He says, look, don't be a hypocrite in your love, be true. He says, abhor that which is evil, hate evil. Cleave to that which is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honoring, honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, giving to hospitality. We're providing for people. We're there for them. We're helping them. Bless them which persecute you. you hear that? Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. When we get on Facebook and somebody says something we don't like and we go, you know what? Oh, yeah, you're going to get something from me, buddy. You know, we're hard typing, you know, and you get caught in those moments. You need to go, oh, you know what? Yep. They're wrong. Absolutely. Are they wrong? Yes, they're wrong. But you know what? Me responding is not going to make it any different. Right. You know what I need to do? I'm going to look up their profile. And I'm going to pray specifically for that person because you know, the only thing that can change a person's heart is God. My words won't change their heart. All it's going to do is solidify their stance, and they're going to want to fight me, and all of a sudden now I have an enemy as opposed to someone that I can reach out to and try to love. So our goal is to touch people's lives. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that do weep. Hey, man, celebrate people's successes, but at the same time, when they're broken and they're hurt, be there for them. Support one another. Verse, Verse 16, be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Says, look, you're not, you're not, you're not seeing people at different levels. Everyone, you see everyone equally. You're with every person. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't convince yourself that you have the answers. Go to God. Each of us have different personalities. We have different talents. We have different skills. We have different resources. Right? Some of us are maybe more successful than others. But bottom line is, we're supposed to bring all of those resources together for God's glory. That's the purpose of this whole thing. So as God's calling them. 
to serve together to accomplish his will, they have to be unified. It's important that they're gathered together. And as we'll see, it is absolutely essential to their success in the instructions. And that, is same, that same is always true for us as well, that we be unified. We are much more, we're much stronger unified than we are divided, right? The devil knows that. Why does he work to divide and break up churches? Why does he work to, to, to ruin and destroy relationships, right? Why does he want to separate a husband and wife? Because guess what? They've been given a mission. You know what? They've been given a mission. That mission is to achieve, and the Bible says they're supposed to go, and they're supposed to replenish the earth, man, with sons of God. That's our purpose. That's why we're here, right? So if he can divide a marriage, guess what? Well, no longer will they be affected because she's not in submission of his mission. She's no longer supporting him and helping them work together to succeed what it is God's given them to do. So we find division. That's where the devil always wants to work. So you and I, guess what? We are successful when we work together. Why do you think the Malawi Project was so successful, right? Our church was not even three years old at the time when we took that on. Not even three years old. We were still a baby church. And here we were. We came together. We, we gathered 27,000 pounds of donations. We put it in a container. We shipped it to Charleston. And it went all the way across the ocean. And it arrived there Christmas Eve, man. The timing was absolutely perfect. How did that work out? Because guess what? All of us with different talents, different abilities, different resources, we came together with one heart unified, put our efforts together, and God blessed it, and he used it. I'm not the one telling you this stuff. I know I'm getting ready to unload a whole lot of stuff on you guys, but I just want you to know it's not coming from me. These are not my ideas. These are not my plans. I'm going to simply relay what God has in store, right? And I want you to know that every single week when I come here and I'm sharing with you the word of God, I'm doing my very best to not tell you what I want to tell you. I want it to be what God has for us. Amen. Because it's like, I can't help you. I'm not, I'm not the answer. He is. They didn't hear, uh, they didn't need to hear from Moses, and you certainly don't need to hear from me. The only things that truly change our lives for the better are those things that do truly come from God, right? And I'm not telling you can't listen to advice from someone. I'm not telling you can't go to someone for counsel. But I'm going to tell you this. If what they tell you helps you, ultimately it did not come from them. It came from the source, which is God, right? So it goes back to God, he gets the credit. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge, and understanding, right? So if you're here today and something speaks to your heart and you go, you know what, this is going to help me in my walk. Or you say, you know what, I'm beset with a sin. And you know what, I felt today that, you know, I felt a way to get out of this. I'm going to over this. It's not coming from me. If you're not, you don't give me thanks for what happens today. Because if all I've done is said, simply said, you know, God, let me get out of the way that you might tell us what it is that we need. Because guess what, as I'm preaching, I'm preaching to me too. I'm sorry, this, the word speaks to me just like it speaks to you. So every week, we're coming with the desire that God would speak to us, not that man would speak to us. James 1, says, 1 5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Right? And guess what? When nobody has the answers in the world, and everyone you turn to, you go, you know what? There are no answers. Let me just tell you, God has the answers. Amen. He knows the human condition. He knows the plight that you're in. There's not a circumstance or situation that you're in and God's like, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Oh, brother, I should have prepared. No, he's already seen it. Guess what? The book of Revelations is written. That's the distant future. God's already seen it all. So there's nothing surprising him today. And he cares. Matthew 7, 7 says this, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Have a heart to seek the Lord, and guess what? He will tell you what you need. And what's amazing is for everything we will possibly go through, there's an answer in this book. Amen. Everything you could possibly go through, and you go, gosh, gosh, I just don't know how to find it. Wonderful. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open. God says, look, look, look. A lot of times people just get defeated, and they go, ah, I don't know. 
It's so big. Have you seen it? It's like a phone book, dude. I mean, I, I mean, what Genesis and what, is, what does firmament even mean? I don't even know what that is, right? And we just get overwhelmed by it. And we're like, you know what? I'm just going to close this thing and go to church and let, let pastor tell me what's going on because I don't know. But if you will take the time to learn, guess what? This Bible is spiritually discerned. That means that the Spirit gives it to you. If you're born again, guess what? The same thing that lives inside of each one of believers lives in you. And the same one that helps us to understand it is simply the same thing that will show you. It's just a matter of growth, right? If you don't put time into it, it's kind of like, you know, if you go, look, I want to be able to lift, a, you know, 200 pounds. But you, you just start with 200 pounds. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to do this. I quit, right? But if you start with 20 pounds, and then you go to 50 pounds, and you go to 70 pounds, and you, go to, you can work your way up. You can progress in your ability. Same thing with this, man. We don't start you out in trigonometry when you're in kindergarten. They start you out with just addition and subtraction, simple things. Because if you can get those little steps, guess what? You can get to the more complicated stuff. So we see here, um, no matter what the world may say and what the world may look like, how many dark our circumstances are, there is always hope. There's always an answer. There's always a way out. What we need to realize is this is something that our world needs now more than it ever has before. People are looking for wisdom in earth. They're looking for it from fellow man. Everybody looking for the tweet that's going to answer everybody's problems, the post that's going to be the solution to everything. What did this guy say? What did this guy say? It does not matter because the worldly wisdom, guys, it's destruction. They don't know anything. They're going to give advice based upon a human perspective, and a human perspective destroys humanity. Why did God wipe the earth clean, right, in Genesis 6? Because guess what? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. They just did what they thought was right. There was no never turning to God. So we turn to the Lord. So we see in this message here, we see here the purpose of the physical unity, why they came together. We can certainly see that. And we also see that there's a divine nature to the message, right? Okay. So verse number two, six days shall be work, shall work be done. But on the seventh day, there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. So right off the bat, God jumps into an issue of obedience, okay? That's very important, okay? He understands these people. And as we, the rubber's getting ready to get the road, and as we're getting ready to move forward, he says, look, you know what? I'm going to get into obedience right away. And that's why he includes, unfortunately, a harsh punishment. Because, guess what? He understands the way we think, right? He understands. Isn't it sad that he can't just say, this is what you need to do. There, done. But no, this is what you need to do. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you, right? I mean, it's like, no. And I know that sounds, but that's, isn't that how we talk to our kids, yeah. right? Look, you can go in the front yard, but if you go in that street, girl, I'm going to wear you out. You understand me? You little girl, look at me in the eye. Am I joking? No? All right. Are you going to go in the street? All right, you better not. The worst spanking I ever got as a kid, man. I was about six years old. We lived in Alaska at the time. And my dad was like, don't you go to the creek. Because somebody's dog had gone to the creek, and the water's pretty fast running. It was near our house, and it killed their, their dog, drowned. So my dad was all stressed about it. You know, it's like, don't go to the creek, don't go to the creek. But my brother's like four years older than me. And, dude, you could fish down there, and there was all kinds of, they, they, we said rainbow trout, or and rainbow trout, and they said uh, salmon. But they were down there fishing the creek, and you, we used to fish with corn. And I was like, man, and my brother had gone with a can of corn, and I was like, you know, we just get a line and throw it out there and catch them. And I was like, I'm, I'm home, and everybody, all my friends were there. And I'm like, oh. My dad was at work, and I'm like, it's going to be fine. Eventually, I like, walk out in the yard, and I'm just like looking out. And I'm like, I can hear the water way down there, and I'm like, man, oh, man. I'm just working my way through my neighbor's yard. <laughs> little by little, next thing you know, I'm in the creek, man. One of my friends is like, come on over. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, guess who came home? 
Oh, bad timing, man. Dude, I couldn't lay down. I had to lay on my stomach for like three days. I'm not joking. It was awful, 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 awful. But the whole point was my dad was trying to protect me, right? Unfortunately, they had a harsh warning. I did not listen. But God says, look, because you're stiff-necked, because you're rebellious by nature, I'm going to tell you right up front that if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill you, right? And unfortunately, these people are still going to go against God. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. So it's a matter of obedience, a matter of obedience, this obedience will be important for them as they will take on this building project, right? God has a lot in store. There's a lot of very specific details coming up, and God's very specific in the fact what it is they're going to need to do. So the people will work, right, and they'll be productive, and they will be, you know, from an earthly perspective, for that six days, they're allowed. Hey, look, for that six days, you do whatever you want to do. You work hard. But that seventh day, guess what? That seventh day is going to be different. It's going to be set aside, okay? It's very specific. Now, what was intended here was that they could do, this is, Commerce, productivity, even preparing a meal, right, is not to be done because you're not supposed to kindle a fire, right? So this is a day off. This is a day of rest, man. This is a day of relaxation. And see, how many of us would go, man, I would like a day of rest, <laughs> relaxation. No, I, I, I have no, no, no agenda. I have nothing. And we all go, man, that sounds good. Right on. I'm all about it. But the problem is because of our society, all of us by like mid-morning, we're like, what, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. We can do something. I mean, we, you know, we could go, I don't know. I mean, right? We're, we're antsy. We almost feel guilty if we're not busy, right? But God's saying, hey, I'm giving you a gift here. I'm giving you an opportunity for you to take all the cares of the world, set them aside, and make this day just about me. Just set it aside just for me, right? And God, it's amazing. See, God's giving them this gift, and yet they will struggle to fulfill it. They have a hard time because guess what? They're going to want to work. There's a guy who goes out and clicks sticks. I think it's a Deuteronomy. They, 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 get, they have to stone him, right? He does not listen. So what happens here is God realizes the fact that, guess what? Rest is an important component of our health. Stress kills people. Who's ever been under severe stress? It's a physical thing, man. You feel it physically. So guess what? Rest is an also another physical thing. It is a restorative time. So God gives us that, 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 that goal. And what's interesting here is this gift is actually pointing to something bigger than just resting, right? It's not just about taking a day off. God's in reality talking about something, about honoring this special day. He says this day is sanctified, as he says in Genesis 2, 2, 3, it says this. And it says, um, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God, verse 2, this is Genesis 2, 3, and he says, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, right? He set it aside because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So what we're seeing here is this is pointing to that day. It's supposed to be in honor of that, right? So God's people are supposed to follow God's pattern, right? That's an important principle. As the Bible establishes patterns of behavior, you and I as Christians, what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to follow God's pattern of behavior. Now, for the Sabbath, that doesn't apply to us. That's an Old Testament thing for the Jews. We do set aside Sunday, but not because it's the Sabbath. We set it aside because guess what? That was the resurrection of Christ. This is in commemoration of his resurrection, the ultimate victory over death, hell, and the grave. So what we find here is the fact that in Genesis, this pointing to that, that seventh day. But what's interesting is that here as... Uh, the seventh day is sanctified. It's a day. It's a very special day, but it's also pointing to a special day that we'll find in the book of Revelation, okay? In the book of Revelations, in chapter 19 and chapter 20, you'll find it's talking about something very, very specific. Now, if you do go there and look and you look for a specific day, you're going to go, Pastor, there's not a day there. 
It's not talking about a day. It's actually talking about a 1,000-year a time period. It's called the millennial reign of Christ, right? There's a 1,000. In fact, in, in chapter number 20, you see the word, the, the number 1,000 shows up six different times. Boom, 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 boom. He's reinforcing this is an important time, this millennial reign. Boom, boom, boom. And what happens during that millennial reign? That's a time of peace. It's a time of rest. It's a 1,000-year time period of rest and peace. Now, the reason why I called it a day is because if we go to 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 8, there's something really, really cool here. If you've never seen this before, if you guys have been here before, you know where I'm going. If you've not, I'm going to explain this to you. 2 Peter 3, 8 says this, But beloved, speaking to Christians, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. So he's saying, look, if you're going to get one thing of what I'm going to talk to you out of this entire letter, this is the one thing you need to know, okay? Get this one. And this is what he says, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So he says, look, I'm going to give you a formula that you can apply to the Bible, right? It's like a decoder ring. Remember those things? Man, I'm old. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> some older folks remember decoder rings. You used to be able to buy these things from like Cracker Jacks and you could take the decoder ring and you could turn the little dial and it would tell you the letters, different symbols, and you could decode things. Well, guess what? This right here is like a decoder ring for the Bible. This little thing, when you apply it, you take this and you go, okay, I'm going to take this little formula. I'm going to apply it into the Bible and see what it says. Boom. Okay. So we take the formula, we apply it to Genesis chapters one and chapters two. What's interesting about this, we're going to talk about days. So a thousand years to God is like a day for us, right? So we take this and we apply this into Genesis 1 and 2. What's interesting about those days in Genesis 1 and 2, there's six days that are listed where God does his work. And every one of those will say, and the evening and the morning was the first day. And the evening and the morning was the second day. It's very specific. God's very patterned exactly like that. Evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. Seventh day, there's no evening, there's no morning. It just says a day. So now we take this thousand years and we plug that in. So that day for God is pointing to a day, a specific day that God's going to set aside, a day of rest. And we apply the second Peter caption to that. And we go, this day, which is different, doesn't have a day and a morning. So it's not a literal day. This one's actually a thousand year time period. And God's saying in that revelation or during Genesis, he's saying, look, what we're setting apart here is not a day for me to go, oh, man, doing all that stuff and creating all those things. I'm exhausted. i got to take a nap. That's not what it was. God's not there drinking Gatorade like, worn out. No, God's saying, hey, I'm pointing to something, and I'm going to give you a little code where one day you'll be able to go, whoa, 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 whoa. So he says, now, if you take that and you go, look, imagine humanity, right? Guess what? How long has humanity been in existence? You take the Old Testament and the New Testament together. The Old Testament's about 4,000 years. Guess what the New Testament is? About 2,000 years. That's 6,000 years, pointing to another thousandth year coming, Seven thousand years, right? There's a thousandth year that's on its way. And in that day, guess what? We will celebrate the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, man. That will be a day of ultimate rest and honor for God. So what's happening is God's saying, look, when you honor the Sabbath, what you're doing is you're honoring my return. Amen. Amen. The Bible throughout points to the return of the Lord again and again and again and again. And it's something as simple as a day set aside. God's saying, hey, it's about my return. One day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So their obedience would honor God, right? And at the same time, it's also going to protect them, right? It's going to keep them from getting killed. Verse 4, And Moses spake on all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying. So again, he qualifies. Hey, 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 this doesn't come from me. <laughs> this is from God, guys. Verse 5, 
Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. An offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. So take note, this says this is an offering. This is not a tithe. A tithe is a 10% payment. We, God gives us all that we give. He says, I'm going to give you 100%. I'm going to tell you, you keep, you keep 90, give 10% back to me. So there's tithes. We pay tithes, but an offering is something that we do above and beyond that. This is done with the, with the heart. So God's saying, hey, you know what? It's given out of thanks. It's given out of love. So we see here, explained in the next part of this verse, this is the heart behind an offering, right? It says, he with a willing heart. It's a matter of the heart. So giving is an issue of the heart. He says then they're supposed to give gold and silver and brass. Then verses 6 through 9 says this, And blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shittim wood and, and oil for the light and spices for anointing oils and for the sweet incense and onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephods and for the breastplates. So all this, I mean, this, is some, this is some fancy stuff, man. This is some high-end materials that we're talking about here. So why would a bunch of ex-slaves that are out in the middle of nowhere have gold and silver and all this fine linen? Why would they have these things? That doesn't make any sense. They're a bunch of slaves. They don't have anything. Well, actually God prepared them. In Exodus chapter number 12, verse 35 says this, And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians. I like that word borrowed. (laughs) I don't think they were going to return it. (laughs) Um, They borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. So he says, look, when they left, guess what? They got it from the Egyptians. The Egyptians were a very rich culture. They had all this stuff. And these millions of Jews, as they left, guess what? They carried away all these things. And we go, you know what? And what's interesting, people go, well, how do you know God provided it? I mean, that says that Moses said it. But if we go back in time a little bit, back in Genesis, or actually in Exodus chapter number three, what we find is whenever, whenever Moses is being spoken to by God through the burning bush, back there in Exodus three, this is what God says. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. I'm going to work on the hearts of the Egyptian people. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. Verse 22, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. God says, look, I'll make provision for you. So basically what we have here is God says, look, I'm going to provide for you. And all I'm going to do is ask you to give some back to me. I'm not going to order you to do it. I'm going to tell you if you have a willing heart that I would like for you to give what I provided for you. They've got to be looking at this gold and silver and all these things. They're going, yeah, I remember the Egyptian lady handed this to me, right? This isn't like they've been carrying around. This, this is just a matter of months. They're looking at all these things that recently, they're recently, recently acquired. And it's amazing as, as humanity how we'll have things that we know God gave us, and we still like, mm, I don't want to give it up. I want it for me. Me, 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 me. We're talking about that on Wednesday nights. So as we studied for the last few months, we know what these things are for, right? God's been instructing them in preparation for the building of the tabernacle. God's going to build this tabernacle. This is going to be on earth. And what this is, this is a model, right, that's modeled after heaven itself. We see that in Hebrews 8, 5. And so there's a pattern that was set in heaven. He's saying, look, you're going to recreate that pattern on earth. So the earthly tabernacle, this, this, this dwelling place of God, is going to be an elaborate mobile structure, like a mobile home, basically, a lot, lot nicer, <laughs> right? A mobile home. But it's to be the center of faith and practice for them. This is going to be the central hub for them. As they set up the camp, right? As all these millions of Jews, as they come to a stop, what they'll do is they're going to set up the tabernacle, and then everything else is going to be built around it. That's going to be the center point of everything, just like it should be in our lives. God's dwelling place, His tabernacle is to be built of these materials that will be given by people with a willing heart. This is extremely important. 
They give it because of a willing heart. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, Every man, according as he has purposed, purposed, purposeth, I don't know how you say that one, purposeth in his heart. Sound like, I feel like, what's the, what was the cartoon character with the lisp? What was his name? Sylvester the cat, that's it. Yeah, so I feel like Sylvester. So every man according as he has purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Notice this. He says purpose in his heart, right? So he says, look, according to his heart, right? This is a matter of the heart. According to his heart, let him give, not grudgingly. That means you don't give it like this. Yeah. Fine, take it. Right? That's not that. And he says, of, or of necessity, guess I'll give because I'm supposed to. Ugh, here. Right? Not of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. One that gives with the, with the right heart. So God's dwelling place is to be created by loving, submissive spirit of people that say, you know what? I want to honor the Lord, man. I do this out of love. I do this because I want to honor God. Right? Amen. And this is true in everything we do, everything that we are as Christians, man. God has given us resources. He's given us everything we have. Our resources, our talents, our abilities, our time, our efforts. As we give these things, we're not really giving these things. We're in reality giving our heart. We're giving our heart. The problem is so many of us, we're so selfish that we're not willing to give our hearts because we have specific things that that we want. And it's unfortunate and it's sad, but I want you to think about this. If you're a born-again believer today, you know you're saved. There was a time... When you got saved, and guess what you did? You gave God your heart. You gave God your heart. This is a matter of the heart. And in that day, man, you gave it to him. You came submitted and humble, understanding that that he's holy, and you're definitely not, right? And here we came, complete faith and trust, And we called out to God. We said, Lord, I need you. You called out to the God of the universe, the God of love. And you said, you know what? God, I'm broken. And on my own, I know what I am. And I see myself for who I am. And God, please redeem me out of my sin. Redeem me out of my lost condition. And because he is, he is love. What did he do? He came right where we were. He forgave us right where we were. He redeemed us right where we were, and he adopted us into his family, right? He gathered us up. John 1, 12 says this, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So in that moment, we experienced love like we had never experienced before. Because I'm telling you what, if you've been saved, you know what it's like to go from that moment of being so, so overwhelmed with your brokenness and your sin and recognizing yourself who you are and seeing through that lens of God and recognizing yourself and then all of a sudden being redeemed from it and being like, oh man, God is amazing. Holy moly, this is unreal. I didn't even know if there was love like this in the world. I mean, this is incredible. And in that moment, man, we would have joyfully given God anything he would have asked right then. Just got saved, just brought your head up. Yes, Lord, amen. Yes, and you felt his presence in your life and you're like, yes. And if he said, you know what I want you to do? I'm calling you right now to do this for me. And you'd have gone, yes, done. Done, Lord, absolutely. In thanks and love, absolutely, all day long. But then we let a little time creep in. And as time passes, what happens? The cares of the world. 
They creep into our lives. They creep into our lives. Bills, distractions, kids, jobs, success, vacation, possessions, hobbies, life, right? Life just fills our time. And we went from being so focused in that moment, man. We go from, before we knew, man, we knew what it was like to feel the joy of the Lord. We knew that incredible peace, right? We knew what it was like to feel his heart and to feel that closeness. But now what's happened is time has passed. And now sometimes maybe we feel like he's not even, not even that close. We can think back to the time when God literally, it felt like God literally reached down and gathered us up and scooped us up in his arms and held us close to his chest. And you could feel that presence that was so warm and so, so comforting. Literally, like you could hear the heartbeat of God. And you were like, man, I want to know his word. Man, I want to tell people about God. I want, I'm so excited about what God's done for me. This is incredible. I feel that love for God. I feel how close he is to me. I feel what he thinks about me. I know what he, he sees me. And he says, you know what? You're no longer that wicked person. You're now saved. You're redeemed. You're restored. And we see, man, so close. And then, amazingly, just in a matter of time, we can say, you know what? Is God even there? Is he there? Did God lose sight of us? Did he take his focus off our relationship? Did he get distracted? No. That's what we did. That's what we did. The relationship's not what it is because of God. It's what it is because of us. If here we are in the arms of God and he's got us holding us close and we're on his knee and he's holding us close and we're in that relationship, we're the ones that start going, oh God, it feels so good. And then what was that? Huh. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I got a little tight. A little tight, God. <clears throat> a little tight. Just slide to the end of your knee so I can get a better look. Huh. Just, I'm just going to slide down real quick. I'll be back. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Hmm. That's pretty. Wow. Just, just touch it. Just look at it. Next thing you know, you're in it. Next thing you know, it's controlling you. Next thing you know, it's your focus. Next thing you're way over here and you're so caught up in the cares of the world and the storms around us and our ears are plugged and our hearts are closed and God's over here like this. I love you. I really wish you wouldn't. Not that. No. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And the devil says, do you see? That's your child. But God. The Lord Jesus Christ says, uh uh-uh. I paid for that too. Amen. What he's doing right now, I paid for that. It's nothing. I took that. Mm. And the whole time God's saying, hey, you know what? If you call me, I'll come. You call me, I'll come. And we find ourselves in such a mess. I'm talking about Christians. We find ourselves in such a mess. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, we find ourselves in this garbage, in this mess, and it consumes us. And we're so wrapped up in it, we can't even hear. But all of a sudden, we lift our hand up, we say, Lord, Lord, would you help me? Immediately. Immediately. We see a picture of that in Peter, man. When Peter's Peter's sinking in the water, he says, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, immediately, God does, boom, he lifts him right out of the water. Peter, you have little faith. I'm here. Remember, I'm the good shepherd. And I'll come where you are. That's it, man. That's the God 
that we serve. That's the God that we give to. That's the God that loves us, right? We find ourselves so far off course, not because it's God's fault. It's because it's us. Mark 4, 19 says this, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, listen to that, the lusts of other things, choke the word. What that means is I can no longer hear it. The word used to speak to me. I used to go, oh man, I hear God speaking to me. I can sit in service and go, you know what, that's good. That's good. You know what, i got to make a change in my life. But eventually I can sit in church and the preacher can preach and pour his heart out and I'd be like, huh, yep. I wonder what the time the game starts. And we choke it off to where we can't even hear the word of God. It's incredible that, that we can get to that point, but we can. We can. And then it says here, and it becometh unfruitful. So the very word that used to stir your heart, that used to convict you and change you and develop you and grow you, guess what now it does? It runs off your water. It runs like water off a duck's back. And the same word with the same power, with the same worth and the same value and the same direction for your life no longer even applies to you because you just can't hear it. But it's not until we come back and we say, Lord, you know what? I need you. And what does he do? He restores us. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't say, look, you loser, you piece of garbage. He goes, you know what? I watched it all and I was there with you. And I'm so proud that you've come back because I want to redeem you. Because of this cares of the world, the unfruitfulness, our willingness to give starts to wane. Our willingness to sacrifice of ourselves, guess what? Even the smallest little thing starts to become a big deal. Sitting and reading my Bible. It's a task, it's a chore. I'm supposed to watch Wednesday night. Yeah, I know it's up, but you know, I'll watch it later. Little tiny sacrifices, just some time, for goodness sakes. And we find that difficult. Guys, there are people that have given their lives for the truth of this word, man. There are people that hung on a cross. There are people that have been burned alive. And as they're burning, say, the love of Lord, the love of God is who you need as they burn to death. And we find it difficult to apply a little bit of time to the word, to spend a few minutes in prayer to, to, to come to service. It's amazing, but we're Laodiceans, man. We're drawn into our flesh. With a heavenly perspective, guess what? Giving of ourselves and our resources, it isn't a chore. It's an honor. Suddenly, it becomes a privilege that God bestows upon me. You're going to take my life and my resources. You're going to use them for your glory? You're the God that loves me, the one that restored me? Oh, absolutely. Let me give it to you with a willing heart, right? A willing heart. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. I'm almost done. I know. Sorry. Um, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. He says, look, don't do, don't live this life for the stuff of this planet, because guess what? It is not going to last. Naked you came into the world, and naked you shall leave, right? We got nothing. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. He says, these things are eternal. They will last forever. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? They've got their treasures, all those things that we listed. And God's saying, you're going to give some of this to me. I'm not asking for all of it, but I want you to make an offering. And if you'll have it with a willing heart, you'll give up those treasures for my will. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, where is my treasure? 
Where is my treasure? Is it here? Do I spend my time and energy fortifying myself, fulfilling my desires, getting what I want, or am I denying myself? That's what Jesus says. We talked about it on Wednesday nights. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So either our treasure's on earth because we're caught up with the cares of the world, or it's in heaven. And if it's in heaven, you know what that's an indicator of? A heart to give. That's God's desire. Heart to give. Resources, life, self, desires. Are we willing to give? God's desire is to use our lives. He wants to use each one of us. We each have unique talents and abilities. We were created for him for a purpose that's so much bigger than we can possibly understand. But it's a matter of the heart. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, God, for giving us this message, Lord, for helping us, uh, Lord, to hear and see, uh, Lord, in just this simple little portion of Scripture, what a deep and powerful message you had for us. Lord, help us to be united as a body, Lord God. I pray that you help us to be convicted, Lord Jesus, that as you call us to serve, as you call us to give, Lord, as you call us to, to, uh, to open our hearts and lives to be used for your glory, God, that we will have that heart. Help us, Lord, truly lay up our treasures in heaven and not here on earth. Help us, Lord Jesus, to remember who it is that we are and what you've brought us from. And Lord, in thanks, help us, Lord God, to give our lives back to you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today, if you're online, watching on Facebook, wherever you are, if it's recorded, this is a day that could change your forever. There was a day for me almost 19 years ago when someone asked me a question. They said, if you were to lose your life, if this is your last day on earth, are you 100% sure you're going to go to heaven? And you know what? I did not know. I believed in God. I thought there was something out there, but I didn't know anything about God. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And what happened was they gave me an opportunity to trust in Christ. And what I'm going to give you that same opportunity. It's not about believing in God. It's not about saying, hey, you know what? I I think he's real. Because guess what? The Bible says that the demons will tremble in the presence of God. They don't doubt his existence. Their theology is perfect, yet they're not going to heaven. So you and I, it's not just about believing. It's about surrendering our heart and submitting to God's will for our lives. If you've done that, praise God. If you have not and you're playing games, do it today. If you're online and you say, you know what, I've been in church my whole life, it does not matter. You will not go to heaven because you're a church member. You will not go to heaven because you're a good person because guess what? The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one, just to make sure there's a qualifier. No, not one. So we're all in the same boat. We all need a Savior. And he died for the sins of the world, John 3, 16. And as he reaches out to you right now, he can gather you in his arms like we heard in the message today, and he can lovingly hold you so close that you will feel the heartbeat of God, your creator. He wants to do that for you today. You have an opportunity to receive him. You have to understand that you're the problem. He's the solution. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart and mind. You can pray however you want to. But this is a matter of the heart between you and God. It's a matter of the heart. So if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and your mind. It will not be the words that will do anything for you because God's not listening to the words. He's listening to your heart. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. Sorry for disappointing you, my family, and myself. I come today, Lord, with a humble heart, and Lord, I want to submit my life, my future, my everything to you. I turn from my sin, and I trust you as my Savior. God, come into my heart. Save my soul. 
and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.